Welcome to the Juggling Without Balls podcast. My name is Monica Parkin and I am your host. And every week on the show, I'm going to be talking to powerful, successful women who juggle it all. And when I say juggle it all, I mean everything. Kids, health, aged parents, careers, relationships, you name it, we're going to talk about it. So stick around, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a seat and enjoy the show. Hello jugglers and welcome to episode 10. It is my pleasure today to welcome my guest Debbie Viola to the show. Debbie always wanted to learn how to paint but never had the opportunity. After witnessing the 9-11 attacks from her New York City office window, she made a decision to leave a toxic job and work for herself. The journey into entrepreneurship has been difficult but rewarding and what really excites her is teaching others how to paint. During COVID, she's been live painting four nights a week and she's been referred to as the female Bob Ross. I'm so excited to talk to her. Welcome, Debbie. It's so nice to have you with us today. Hi, Monica. So happy to be here. Yeah, great. So Debbie's here from New York. As you all will have heard in the intro, we know a little bit about her, but I wanted to just start at the beginning. Your first career, the career you were in for a long time, how did you choose that? What made you choose that path rather than the path that you're on now, which is clearly your passion? It just came out of, I don't know if necessity is the word, but I went to a Catholic business high school in Brooklyn, New York, and I just excelled at English and stenography and typing. I was typing by the time I graduated, I think like 120 words a minute and shorthand stenography at over 100 words a minute, which is like really excellent for That's fast. Yeah. 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 So I, and somehow I got involved with becoming a legal secretary. I think the guidance counselor at the school, like they had these little part-time job opportunities. So I worked for a female lawyer after school part-time. And then once I graduated, oh, okay, I guess I'll be a legal secretary. It wasn't my passion, but at that time, who knew? Did you do art at that time though? Was art something you even knew you were good at that time or it wasn't even something you dabbled in at all yet? No, I didn't even, I never had the opportunity. And it's funny, in in kindergarten, uh, I remember that I cried and cried one day when I was out sick because they were doing finger painting and I didn't want to miss finger painting. And then in high school, I wanted to take art, but the guidance counselors wouldn't let me. They forced me to take like business math and algebra, which like math was one of my worst subjects. Yeah. of that, but I just had no choice. I was always creative, but I never had the opportunity to paint. Like I taught myself how to crochet and do things like that, just strictly, literally by the book, by getting the book at the library. And but I never had the opportunity to paint. Now people learn that through YouTube, right? Like my daughter just taught herself how to knit through <laughs> YouTube, but the the opportunities weren't there as much at that time either. Like my kids have had the choice. One of them goes to a fine art school. One of them goes to a science school. They've had choices to follow their passion. And back at that time, it wasn't really. It was very practical. You're going to do this because you can get this kind of a job, and this is the the where you're going to the box that you need to fit in. Exactly. That explains it so well. I didn't even know that I could have gone to college if I wanted to. Yeah, brother went to college, but the discussion never even came up for me. And so how long did you stay in that career for? And were you with the same company? How did that look for you? I had a couple of different jobs. I worked at a big law firm for a few years. And then my last job that I had was uh, 23 years. I stayed with the same boss. I started when he was almost fresh out of law school. And by the time I left, he had a nine attorney 
law firm that I had run. Yeah. So let's fast forward then, because obviously there was something that happened that made you decide to choose careers. And it was a big day. I'm sure it was, it's burned into your memory forever. But even leading up to that, were you unhappy in that job? Were there, were you just staying because of the paycheck? What was keeping you there for that long? How did you feel about that job at the time? Like what kept you there for that many years if it wasn't your passion? As the years went on, I was great at my job and it was like very robotic. Yeah. I knew what I had to do. I got it done. My boss, he was such a workaholic that I was in the la- if I was in the ladies room, he would be standing outside. Oh, no. And I would like, don't you ever do that to me again or I will walk out and never come back. Just everything was always so work focused, work <laughs> You know, I ate lunch at my desk. So as the years went on, this is ridiculous. And I just saw the writing on the wall that it was just becoming a dead end. And he would always dangle a little carrot in front of me. Oh, if you stay till midnight, you'll get an extra 20 bucks in your paycheck. Or always for money. I had to. I was good at what I did. And my kids now were growing. And my daughter was going into college by the time I quit. And a private college. And we needed the money. So it was just a practical job. Yeah. Yeah. And it often is for people, right? It's financial reasons is often why you stay where you're less than happy. So let's fast forward. So 9-11, you're there in New York City. Do you want to walk me through that day? Yeah. I had gotten to my office a little after nine. And as soon as I came up the subway, I worked in Midtown, which is about a couple of miles from where the trade centers were. Right. But from our window, we were on the 16th floor at 5th Avenue and 42nd. We had a straight view of the towers. And there were sirens all over. And, oh, my God, there's a bad fire someplace. That's what I thought. You didn't actually know at that point? No, at that point, I was just getting out of the subway. I had no clue. So I went up into the office and everybody was like peeled to the conference room window. And they're screaming like they're on the phone with colleagues trying to find out. And somebody's like a plane, a small plane just went into one of the towers And then we're out looking and then, boom, we saw, thank God, I didn't see the actual plane, but we just saw the explosion and everybody, we were like really flipping out, not knowing what was going on. And my daughter had just started her first year of college. She was also in the city, but uptown, another hundred or so blocks. So I was like in the middle between my daughter and the trade center. Right. So she got woken up to her. Oh, so she was on the other side of the trade center or? No, oh, no, I got you. You're in the middle. She's on the other. Yeah. Yes, okay. She was maybe four or five miles away. She woke up to her alarm, which was the news. And she heard it on the news and she didn't know what was going on. So she called me. She was hysterical. And she was a kid that never went on any sleepovers, no sleepaway camps. So this was her first like week or two away from home. Oh, gosh. She was terrified. And with me being in the city, she was like, what if they're after the... Empire State Building next because I wasn't that far from that. So it was just all those thoughts going through your head. Yeah, I remember that morning waking up even with here in Canada and seeing it on the news. But at the time, I didn't actually realize it was the news. I thought it was a movie. And then I got to the sitter's house to drop off my daughter. And she said, did you hear what's happened? I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I literally were so desensitized from the media that I actually thought I was watching a movie. And then I, I, work as a, or I worked at the time as a civilian on a military base. So then I got to the base and everyone's there with machine guns and, and trying to scramble jets. And then all of a sudden I went, wow, this is something very huge. Yeah. Yeah. So you're worried about your daughter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's just how I describe it. I, to this day, I still feel like I was part of a surreal, like a horror movie that I just couldn't get out of. And 
So now we're all in the conference room screaming. My husband and I are in contact, like, what do we do? We had to get a phone call to my son who was in high school. At the time, it was no cell phones. Luckily, I was going to say, yeah, did you, how did you even call people then? Because cell phones were not very common. No, but luckily I had just gotten one since I was the one commuting to the city. My husband said, you should have a cell phone. So thank God I had one. But we got a message to my son to let him know that I was okay. His sister was okay. And his uncles that worked in the city that we had heard from that they were okay. So we, we covered those bases. But now it's, what do we do? So my husband and I decided, well, you got to get out of there and go walk. You got to be with Jennifer. I didn't want my daughter alone. And at the time, I didn't know that I was trapped, that all the bridges, everything was shut down. Okay. So now we're back in the conference room and all of a sudden, you just saw the buildings like start floating, like just coming down. You could see like very thin, but you could see like the antenna, the top of the tower. Yeah. And you knew what was happening. You knew the buildings were just crushing down and Uh, assuming people were inside and it was just horrible and my boss was screaming that he thought his colleague was in one of the buildings uh, oh my god jared's in the building oh my god and i'm like i i gotta get out of here i like i just have to get out of here i have to be with my daughter so i go to the elevator and he follows me with work oh my gosh since you're leaving early today, could you do this at the dorm? Oh. And, and that just summed up what I put up with. So I like backed myself into the elevator because I was horrified at what I witnessed and what he just said. Like my jaw dropped open, the doors closed. I'm like, I'm done. I can't even look at him anymore. That just summed up what I put up for 23 years. And so then I, when I got outside, it was just like, Crazy. It was like a mass exodus. Like everybody was going. So everyone's trying to get out at the same time. Even if my daughter was the other way towards downtown, I couldn't go because there were like hundreds, thousands of people in the streets, like all fleet uptown. And every once in a while, I'd look over my shoulder and see the smoke. And it seemed like the smoke was like following us. It was just horrible. Just surreal. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God my days of high heels were over and I had Oh, yes. The only thing I needed was uh, to borrow a contact lens solution from somebody at the dorm. I figured I would get it from a college kid and that's what happened. And I honestly, I don't remember getting home the next day. I don't remember if my daughter came with me. I honestly... So much trauma. Your mind probably just blanked that right out. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Wow. So obviously you stayed at the dorm with your daughter and then so now you're couple of days later, you've realized that you've decided that you can't go back to that job, to that boss, that that is just a toxic thing, obviously. Who, who does that? Who says, by the way, can you just do this stuff today oh while our city is burning? Well, you're going to actually care they, for your friend, family. Yeah. I'm all he thinks he just saw his friend get killed. Yeah. How can you pivot like that from, yeah, it's just unbelievable. What I did do, because I'm such a practical person, yeah. <laughs> I forced myself to stay to Christmas so I would get my last little Christmas bonus because we had bills and yeah. everything. Yeah. And that's what I did. But I pulled the shades down. I couldn't look at my window. I, I tried not to look at my boss as much as I could. Luckily, he worked from home most of the time. He just yeah. happened in the city on September 11th. Normally. Yeah. Yeah. But how hard that must have been just to go back in that building a week later every day. In October, there were still people putting the missing signs up on the lamppost uh, for their loved ones, still clinging yeah. on to the hope that they were alive. And then in Penn Station, which is like the terminal for the train that I took to my house every day, 
the posters all over and I would just stop and read the posters and just like cry. And then you'd come home on the news and once in a while I would hear a familiar name and it's, oh my God, I saw that person's poster Uh at Penn Station. And then you learn the story. The wife was eight months pregnant. He was 28 years old. And every day that I walked 12 blocks from my office to Penn Station at 34th Street, I was in terror. I just felt like it's going to be like buses are going to start blowing up around us. That was next. We and that was the feeling at the time. What's next? Like everyone, I think, was just waiting for the other shoe to drop. It yeah. was so horrifying. So it was one of the happiest days of my life when I quit. And, and I never looked back. I just said, you know what? I hope that I could keep a promise to myself of never, ever working for anybody but myself again. And thankfully... I was able to do that. So you knew, okay, so you knew, A, you're going to quit this job. And then B, did you know right away, I'm going to be an entrepreneur? And then did you know it's art that I'm going to do? Or it was just like, I'm not going to do this and I have to figure I didn't even know what the word entrepreneur was. I'm one now. All I knew was that I love painting. It, in 1998, a few years before that, we put a new bathroom in our house. And I convinced my husband, I said, I'm watching these shows on HGTV and they're doing like fancy stuff with paint on the walls. Let me give it a shot. It wound up coming out beautiful. And we kept it in the house for 17 years. That the contractors were working in my house and they're like, this was your first thing you ever did. You better quit your day job. And I'm like, get out of here. And they're like, nope, absolutely. This is incredible. So that just sparked something in Yes. Me. And when someone does that, when someone gives you that little bit of positive yeah. feedback, sometimes that's just a little seed you need to start growing something. That was all I needed. That just sent me on a whirlwind of going to the library to get books about decorative painting. Wow. Michael's had a local class on how to paint on glass. I'm like, oh, let me do that. And I took that class. And now I had all these wine glasses and little votive candle holders. What do I do now? I'm like, there's a craft fair in the neighborhood for $50. And if I made $60, I was in heaven. Woohoo, I made $10. This is a win, right? Yes. (laughs) And then my sister-in-law had asked me to do a room in her house, which I did. And then one of her friends had asked me. So I had the little mini photo albums. Yeah. My three projects, my bathroom, my sister-in-law's room, and her friend's room. And that was it. So now when I went to craft fairs, just for fun, never, ever thinking that I was going to turn this into a business. People would come and take my card, look at my book. And one lady held onto my card and she says, oh, my neighbor's going to be renovating soon. I'll give it to her. And now fast forward 2001, like that fall, I was at a craft fair. Yeah. That lady called me up and it was just after that I knew that I was quitting my job. It was after yes. 11th and she wound up being one of my first jobs wow. of, of decorative painting. Yeah. And then I decided, okay, how the heck am I going to make money out of this? So I had these hand-painted wine glasses. I put them in a basket with a bottle of wine. I went into a realtor's office in a yeah. pretty ritzy area where yeah. I lived. I said, oh, if anybody wants closing gifts, the realtor called me a week. She was redoing her dining room. And I got, I think it was like a $2,100 job. And I'm like, woohoo, yes, I'm I'm in. Yeah, I have arrived. And it's funny, you make the decision and then you take the little baby steps and then everything just starts to fall into place. You just allow it to happen. And there you go. And if if it was only that easy, but of course it's not. Then you have to like wait for referrals. Then it was like, Months later, before her friend saw it and called me, so then I got another job. And I didn't have a business brain because I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. I had a passion. This is what I want to do. I'm like, how can I make money out of this? I didn't 
I didn't have anybody helping me figure yeah, it out. Yeah. It was, but you it were was, making enough to feed yourself till the next job, basically, <laughs> which is what most entrepreneurs honestly do. Like people think you just instantly start a business and while okay. you're, and it doesn't work that way. It's often three, four, five years for to build up that customer base, for people to trust you, for all those things to come together. And that sounds like what happened. And then at that point, you're living from project to project or job to job. And you're like, oh, I just almost going to run out of money. And then the phone rings and something else comes in and you squeak your way through, right? Oh my God, that's it. Exactly. And my husband has said from the beginning, he says, look, you know what you have to do if you can't make it work? You just have to get another job as a legal secretary, like it or not. That's what you have to do until at least the kids are out of college. And because it's like paying a mortgage in four years, you know? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. But at least you had that exit strategy in the back of your mind, which probably took away some of your fear, knowing that worst case scenario, you can do that job. I think you didn't have to though, but now it looks like you've expanded into more things. You're teaching art classes. Yes. Right. Yes. Over the years, I've learned how to paint on canvas and had a love for that as well. So I just started doing that. Then I started giving lessons. And over the years, I've taught thousands of people locally in New York from ages four up to 80. And it's always so exciting because I get the same reaction. People come to me like, I can't even draw a stick figure. I'm like, don't worry, I can't draw either. This is boring. And then at the end, they're like so proud of what they do. It's like awesome. I'm almost 63 now. So I'm like, I'm 60. I got to start getting down off the ladder. I've been very thankful. I haven't broken any bones. Oh, you mean with murals and wall paintings? Yes, but I I was up on a 68 foot tall uh, structure. I helped restore a cathedral. So then I started researching how to sell my art online. And I went down that rabbit hole for such a long time. And I tried, but it didn't thrill me as much. I'm not a salesperson. Then I learned that you could teach online and yes. that struck a chord. I mean, like I could actually teach people how to paint online, like strangers across the country or the yes. world. And because I know how much I love painting and I wouldn't have known that if I didn't pick up a paintbrush. So if I could encourage somebody else to pick up that paintbrush for the first time and give them a new passion. Oh my God, that's yeah. awesome. So were you teaching online before COVID or is this kind of a, a pivot that you did in COVID? That's going to be my next question, right? What all most people with a business have had to do some kind of a pivot through COVID. Has yours been a move to online teaching or were you already doing that? Were you already set up to do that? I was set up to do it just a couple of months before. I'm the type and I have to learn and learn and I'm not ready yet. I need to learn this course and this course. So I just, maybe because I never went to college, I learned, but then I've been afraid to implement because I always felt like I don't know enough yet. So I never did it. Then finally, a few months before COVID, I pulled the plug and I started my membership, my painting club. It's a monthly membership. And I did it, even though I took courses about you need an email sequence and you have to talk to your people through emails. I didn't do any of that. I just did what I was comfortable with, going to my Facebook page and sitting there and painting and chatting. Yeah. And with that, I got a handful of members and it's, wow, I didn't think I was going to get anybody. So I had my founding members and now I have a bunch more. And I just went into a collaboration with two other artists. And now we have another painting club with the three of us. So it's one third the work and it's somebody to bounce ideas off and collaborate. So I still have my own. There's people that want to work with just me. Yeah. 
all of me, but now there's another option. And whenever you collaborate like that or you share ideas, you support each other. I think it's just a chance for just amazing growth to happen and sharing. There's that beautiful flow that happens between people. Collaboration over competition. Yeah, for sure. What I I did differently in COVID, I think, here in New York, we went on lockdown March 6th. Year. And it was supposed to be two weeks. What could I do for two weeks to hold myself accountable? I knew it wasn't like lose weight or exercise. Cause like when we have a snowstorm, we stock up on like mallow Mars and chocolate and make sure we have milk and cake in the house. But I don't really get to paint as much as I'd like to. It's more painting for my customers than for me. So I said, let me go online and I'll just paint every night and I'll force myself. I'm holding myself accountable. I'm going to go to my page and say, hey, to get us through the next couple of weeks, I thought I would come on and sit here and paint. And I have an acquaintance that she's a classical piano player and her music is beautiful. So she allowed me to play her music. So every night I would mention her name and it just became such a nice combination. I don't see it, but so many people tell me my voice is so relaxing and I'm like the female Bob Ross. I was going to say, female <laughs> Bob Ross, you took the words right in my mouth. I'm still getting thank you notes from people. Just, they're so appreciative that I did that and then I'm still doing that, but now I cut it back to four four nights a week. I've had people like crying to me that I've helped them go to sleep at night, that they put yeah. me on and it helps them sleep. It helps them relax. It's reducing their anxiety. They love listening to me chat and the music and watching me paint. And it's just been an incredible experience that I didn't realize how many people are just craving community just to feel like they belong to something. Yeah, and that you're doing what you started out as something for you is actually in service to others. You're helping others get through this time in a really beautiful way. I've heard the expression, be the one. You never know if you're going to be the one person that can make a difference in somebody's life. That's exactly it, right? Yeah. You never know what something you say or do or your actions have an impact on someone else. And sometimes it's just not about the money, right? Sometimes it's just the right thing to do. And what a beautiful thing to do through COVID. Silver linings in COVID for you have, has that really been the silver lining or what's... um, It has. Just realizing the simple things in life are important and building relationships and community. Yeah, I was just a guest along with my daughter and granddaughter on another podcast because my granddaughter makes little clay sculptures. And she did one, a two-inch figure of Bernie Sanders with inspiration pose. And she said, Mommy, how could we make money for sick kids with this? I do a raffle on Facebook, $20 chances. $3,100 she raised for the Ronald McDonald's house. Wow. Wow. I happen to know that you juggle a lot. You've got parents that live with you. You help out with your grandchildren. You've got your business. You've got this beautiful painting thing that you do in the evenings. Where do you find time for you in all that? Like, how do you find the balance? Oh my gosh. Luckily, I am a night owl. So I kind of sacrifice sleep. So I have my quiet time because our two moms live with us, 95 and 98 years old. I liken it to have two toddlers in the house, but at least with toddlers, you could get a babysitter and go out to dinner once in a while. Yes. Nobody wants to come and watch Nobody wants to come with that, yeah. <laughs> and going on vacation, forget it. You would take the kids with you, but now it takes six months of planning to get my husband's siblings to come. So yeah. at the end of the night, I know I could come down, put soft music on, get out my paints. And like in 10 minutes, I'm in a different zone. I'm just focusing on what I'm making and nothing else matters. 
Just Interesting. I totally relate to that too. Not that we have we have a, a mother-in-law that lives with us, but she's fully independent. She lives on our property. But I have farm animals, my uh, lots of stuff going on that makes it difficult to go away. And nighttime is my time. Like my whole family goes to bed at 10 and I often stay up till one or two in the morning. That's my quiet time. And I do sacrifice a bit of sleep, but I really look forward to that. If I'm going to do a Zoom call with someone or if I'm going to do some reading or whatever it is I want to do, I'm usually, I, I may not get all those holidays, but I do get those couple of hours at night. So I'm glad to hear there's another night owl there carving out time for themselves. And you know what I found while I was going live some nights I was up till three in the morning tossing and turning. I can't take it anymore. Let me go down. Let me go live while I paint. I'm going to paint anyway. Yeah. Let me go live. Oh my God. I instantly have 10 people, then 20 people, then 30 people. Yeah. They were all popping on like they were waiting. Yeah. And it was mostly creative people like other artists or interior designers who are yeah. also creative. And they're all night owls that come yeah. Because the anxiety was through the roof with the pandemic. You can't sleep, so you might as well go online and see what's going on. Same sort of question. A lot of people that are high achieving, they have businesses, they have things going on, juggling a lot of stuff, will delegate something to other people and free up time for themselves, whether that's yard work or grocery shopping or help with their website or whatever it is. Do you have something that you're willing, that you let go of, that you let someone else do? Personally, as far as the house, I am very blessed. I'm beyond blessed. My husband is a neat freak. So right. he'll do the laundry, he'll vacuum. He doesn't care. like I'll straighten up and he'll do the heavy duty work. And yeah. it's fine with that. So that works Good well. Partnership. Yeah. Yeah. And several months ago, I finally hired a VA. I try to let go virtual assistant. Okay. 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 So that I could get help with my social media posting because I knew that I had to do that in order to grow. And I, Never had the time to do it myself. So I got somebody to post on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest. I haven't become that happy with what they're doing because it became more of like very salesy. Like she would take a picture of a painting and put a price tag, buy this. Yeah, it just doesn't align with you, right? Or yeah. post my membership, come join my painting membership. No pictures of me, no videos. So now I'm about to like revamp my Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's hard. Sometimes other people's vision of how things should go or don't always align with our own. If you were to give advice to someone that's that's thinking about a career change or they're stuck on a job that they hate and they were like, what do I do? Like, how do I make this leap? It's so scary. What would your advice be having done that once? I would say just do it. What, what guided me is at the time I was 40-ish and I'm like, I don't want to be 65 years old and retiring and regret the next 20 years that I just stuck with it because I was too mm-hmm. afraid that I didn't want to take the chance. Like I didn't want to be miserable for the next 20 years. And I knew I was going to be if I stayed that route. And now you have the internet at your fingertips. I didn't have that. I yeah. could have gone 20 years ago. How do I sell my art? And things could have been a lot different. No, yeah. Yeah. I didn't have that opportunity. It's never been easier to do something like that. So you need a strong stomach because you never know. But but if you're like a single mom or something and it's really scary, then save as much money as you can. Maybe try to sacrifice sleep and try to get a business going for the next three months or something. Yeah. If it's too scary because you really can't make the rent if you pull the plug. Yeah. 
so many online resources available. There are so many niche businesses out there that I just things I've never heard of that are thriving and doing well. And that's great advice too. I did sacrifice sleep when I first was working for the federal government. I knew I didn't want to work there for the rest of my life. And so I started my business on the side and then I sacrificed sleep and hours and time. And I used all my holiday time to work on my business, but I got it to a point where I could take that leap. And sometimes you do, you just have to sacrifice some time and some sleep and literally do two things at once until you, know, you got to juggle a few more balls until you're ready to to put some down. Yeah. And if you have negative people in your life, like maybe don't share it with them because they're going to talk you out of it. Good point. Talk. Yes. Yeah. There's always those people. Try to stay around like-minded, positive people. I've been the type of person we ha- have very few dear close friends, like from when the time I was a kid, a lot of acquaintances. I feel like I'm uh, more in tune with people that I've met online over the past. Yeah. And I think because it broadens your world, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many other people like you in the world, but they might not live in your neighborhood. And so when you meet people online, there's typically people that share your interests or your values or whatever. And you can often actually make these deeper connections and people you've known your whole life because you're you're on the same wavelength with them. And and yeah, if COVID's been COVID's been a hard year for everyone, but I've made friends like all over the world and other continents just by going on some Zoom calls or some meetings or whatever. And sometimes there are people that you really have a lot in common with and they really flourish those friendships, even though you've maybe never seen them in person. Yes, it's true. And, and it's an incredible experience. It really is. So I think that's the good that has come out of COVID, cultivating relationships with the people that you find and align with. Yeah. Not a- thing. (laughs) Yeah. And the ability to find those people that you really do align with so easily. Do you have any special projects, anything's going on, anything you want to tell us about, or how can we find you? I'm going to also put links to all your stuff in the show notes. So anyone that wants to sit home in the evening, wants to watch Debbie paint or wants to take an online class, you're going to be able to do that from anywhere in the world. But is there anything else you want to share or add before we wrap up? That's awesome. No, you're going to put the links. So that's great. I paint four nights a a week on my Facebook page. And I have a couple of Facebook groups now that I'm a part of. If you're a creative person and we're going to be doing free workshops in June and July. Okay. And the stuff that you are, like, is it materials that people can go purchase pretty easily where they live locally? Are you doing landscapes? What kind of projects do do you do in your classes? Yeah, I do landscapes and flowers and nothing too specific, very loose and abstract, because I remember when I wanted to take my first painting class, the supply list, it was $150 worth of supplies like 20 years ago. That was a lot of money and it almost deterred me. Yeah. So now I'm very cognizant of that. I could show you how to get supplies for like under $15. Nice. So $10 to get started and you can find it locally. Nice. So barrier to entry is super, super easy and it's yes. stuff that people can find, which is fantastic. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and super interesting story. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. That's it for this week. To get more information on any of my guests, to sponsor an episode or to book me as a speaker for your next event, please visit jugglingwithoutballs.ca. I'm also always on the lookout for interesting guests who juggle it all. So please feel free to send me your suggestions. Please rate, review, and follow at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's a wrap. See you next week, jugglers.